Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for all that you are uh, doing in our midst. Lord, I am grateful for this day. I'm grateful uh, for this book of Genesis, which as a book of first and beginnings, and, and with that, there's some bad things that happen. And so today we are in a very uh, difficult and painful story. Uh, we see uh, the very first murder. And so, Father, we pray that as we begin to look at the story of Cain and Abel, you would help us to see what happened and what went wrong and, and how we uh, can learn from the story and that we could ultimately draw closer to you. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 4, the first eight verses. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. And so it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will your countenance not be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. And Father, we do, again, thank you for the story. We ask that you would uh, lead us now, and it's in Christ's good name we pray, amen. All right, so we, we, we start today, verse 1, with the word now. This, this now is a transition sort of word. Uh, we enter into a new section of, of Genesis. Um, the next section has been described as from east of Eden, so getting kicked out of the Garden of Eden up to the flood section. So in this area is, is where we are now. It's speculated that Genesis covers 2,500 years of, of human history and that Genesis chapter 4 and 5 cover about 1,500 years. So a lot of time is elapsing in the next uh, two chapters. And so uh, then the last couple of weeks, we saw the bombshell of, of the, the sin of Adam and Eve and they're falling into temptation and sin basically entering humanity's heart and all of the repercussions from that incident, sort of like a shockwave, are flowing through humanity that we still see uh, today. We see it in today's story of like, what does life look like through a humanity that's totally depraved, totally fallen, totally separate from God? And so we see now man... That's Adam, like man literally is Adam. So the man had relations with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And so this is an exciting time. Uh, Adam and Eve, uh, 
they conceive a child. Uh, there's excitement there. I mean, this is uh, this the the birth of a first child, that first pregnancy, the the excitement, the fear, um, all of the hope, uh, the the thinking about what's involved with this. For Anna and I, I think back about 16 years ago. Grace isn't here, but Grace is about 16. So if you in a couple of weeks she'll be 16, you back it up. Like we're basically 16 years. And Anna texted me, and she said, "And she said, I, I think I might be pregnant." And I was like, "Huh, that's pretty exciting." Uh, and she says, "Do you think that you could pick up a pregnancy test on the way home?" And I said, "I, I can do that." Now, the problem was this came during a time when I was in, I, I just gotten out of the military and I was in seminary and I decided that over the course of the summer I could do this Greek intensive. It was two years of Greek squeezed into three months. And so every day of Greek was equivalent to like one week normal. And so I said, I'm like, I gotta, what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to ride my bike 10 miles to seminary, go to class, ride my bike 10 miles home, and then I can study the rest of the day because I'm going to have to burn energy. I'm going to go crazy. And so there I was in Greek class, and I would ride, you know, in the full apparel of, of bicyclist, you know, the tight pants, <laughs> the clickety-clackety shoes, the tight shirt, the helmet. And I would ride my bike to seminary, I would change, and then I would get on my bike. And so I'm like, she wants me to pick up a pregnancy test. And so I ride the 10 miles through Escondido, or not Escondido, El Cajon, and, and I find the Walgreens, and I'm quickly clacketing through Walgreens looking for a pregnancy test. And I'm just going, like, trying to imagine, like, the people there, like, this guy is, he's on a bike ride, and he decides he needs to get a pregnancy test. Like, I don't like that. Like, how did this whole... You know, and it's like this whole bike ride was just like the excitement that is this, is she pregnant? Is this hope? Like, what's this going to look like? And how's it all going to, how's it going to like turn out? All very normal. And here, Adam and Eve, like she, she's pregnant. She had all of the excitement and hope and like all of the feelings that, that we feel. Except I would say that it was magnified because not only was there the hope of a first child and all the things that would come, they also had that promise bound up in Genesis 3.15. And between her seed and your seed concerning the fall of, of, of humanity and Satan and this big uh, warfare that was going to be happening, that this promise of a deliverer would come. And so she's She's holding her first child, like, but, you know, we progress from she conceived to then she's sitting there with uh, the man child, which I don't know if there's anything here. I'm just kind of like, you know, no, no child had ever been born. This was their first, but it was also humanity's first. Um, like, Adam just came out of dirt. Eve came out of the rib. rib. They came, came out as full humans. And it's like, now she's holding a man-child. It's like, okay, this looks like one of us. But it's like, I don't know if the animals had had babies yet or if it's, I don't know if there's anything here. But so she's holding this child with all of the hope and all of the expectations of what could be and wondering, is this the deliverer? Is this the promised seed that would come? This deliverer was promised, but she actually was holding the first murderer. And I often think about like when I go down the streets and, and 
you know, when you're when you're do ride-alongs with with law enforcement and you see the people on the streets, and you, I always it always breaks my heart when I encounter these people to think, at some point in their life, this child was a child that some like mother at least held, and there was expectation, and to see things go the way they went, it's it's heartbreaking. And so here she is, she's excited. She says, I've, I've received this child with the help of the Lord. And her whole disposition, it, it seemed, all commentators seem to indicate that they believe that at this point, by the way she's reacting, is that she's exercising faith and trusting that God has, has brought about this child and she's dependent upon the Lord. And there's so many lessons for us, not just in parenting, but, but in everything that we do, that God wants us to be dependent upon him and to seek him for help and guidance. And so verse 2, the story continues. Again, we rinse and repeat. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks and came, was a tiller of the ground. So the story repeats itself. As we get into the story of Abel, uh, Abel's whole story is sort of told in relation to, to the brother, to Cain. There's Cain and Abel. Abel kind of follows sort of in the, in the shadows of the older brother. We learn here that Abel's profession, that he was a keeper of the flocks, and Cain was a tiller of the ground. So Abel is a rancher. I see Melanie laughing. Is there like, no, I just nothing. Okay, <laughs> sorry. Uh, Rancher, Abel, a rancher, Cain, a farmer. These are, these are both totally noble and honorable professions. There's nothing indicated that anything is wrong within their occupations, but we're told Abel is born, he grows up, he then becomes a rancher. Cain is a tiller of the ground, so he's providing fruits and vegetables and all of these things. And verse 3, so it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground, and Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and all of their fat portions. So some amount of time has elapsed. We don't know we, we don't know all of the details. We don't know how they got to this place. We don't know what was said to this family about offerings or what the conditions were on them. But it seems to, to indicate that they had this idea that they were supposed to bring this offering to the Lord, that they were supposed to do something. We have no indication on the offering system. Uh, the Mosaic law hasn't been brought about yet. Um, all we see here is that they brought about this offering. That Cain brought some fruit of the gr- ground. He picked the best that he had, and you know he made a little, I'm imagining a little cornucopia basket that you have like on Thanksgiving, you know, all the fruits and vegetables sort of spilling out on the table. It was probably a beautiful presentation. And then Abel was his was probably a little bit more nasty. We see the firstlings of, a, of the flock that he slaughtered some animal and there's like this animal pieces and chunks and whatever that are there. And he, he brought this. And as we're reading this story, if we don't know the rest of the story, up to verse three, everything seems fine. There's no indication that anything is amiss or that anything is wrong. You have these two brothers. They're walking with God, it seems. They both are, are compelled to bring this offering before the Lord, one brings from his occupation what he has, the fruits and vegetables and whatever, the grains, and he lays it before the Lord. The other one who is a rancher, has cattle, has or whatever kind of animals he had, he makes this offering to the Lord. It's this beautiful picture. But then everything seems to go wrong in the next phrase. 
And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So something really has gone off, like off the rails here. So as they bring their offerings, we see that God looks at Abel's. He says, this is acceptable. I have regard for this. And it's like Cain's offering didn't even exist. It's not, it's not recognized by God. It's, not, it's nothing. It's just like it didn't even happen. And so there's a problem. And so we don't have the, the details about what sort of offering was to be made. It, it seems to indicate that there were some guidelines, that they had something. Some have suggested that Adam with his boys would say, you know what, when mom and I sinned and we, we created the fall, we were kicked out of the garden and even we went this one direction. We tried to get some plants to cover up our nakedness and God came and he made a sacrifice with an animal and he killed this animal and a sacrifice was made and then these 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 clothing that we are wearing now, it's from animals and a sacrifice has to be made. And maybe maybe that was passed on to them from Adam that, you know, God requires an animal sacrifice for our offerings. We, we don't know. So we, we speculate, but we don't know. But what we do know is if we read into the New Testament, the New Testament does give some insights dealing with these two offerings. We have Cain's on one side that God had no regard for. We have Abel's that God seemed to accept and he liked. We come to Hebrews 11.4, this great chapter about the, the heroes of the faith and these, these Old Testament saints all the way through the New Testament. These people who were examples to us that demonstrated great faith in their walk with God. One of the very first people listed is, is Abel. And in Hebrews 11.4, we read, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. And so Hebrews gives us some insight. When we look at the story of Cain and Abel, what we see is that one brother, Abel, he brought his offering by faith. Um, that his righteousness was credited to him through his act of faith and trusting God in this. Uh, while it doesn't say it, it seems to indicate that, that Cain's was not done by faith, that he was just doing things his own way. Um, faith is central in the story. Faith is how God deals with humanity throughout all of the pages of the Bible, that he wants us to trust him and to seek him by faith. We also seem to see that we approach God based on his terms. Our world is filled with people and religions that want to approach God based on their own preferences, their own desires. God says this, well, this is easier. This is probably just acceptable, so I will go about doing it this way. And when we do this, I believe that God has no regard for these offerings, these, these actions that aren't done according to what God has revealed. And so there's... There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a warning here. Um, I, I, like, I know my propensity to wander. I, I know, like, my propensity is to get off track. And that's why, like, I'm so committed to, like, when, that what we do here on Sunday mornings is to be in the scriptures because this, 
is what God has revealed to us. It's, it's instructions that he has left for us so that we can walk with him by faith, that we could see what he desires of us, and that we can go through our life following the instructions by faith, trusting him. Things he tells us here might seem a little bit odd, might, might go against our instinct. But, but this, these are our like guardrails in life so that we can walk in a way that's pleasing to him. As Alistair Beck says, you know, he always says the main things are the plain things. And so we go through the stories. We look at the main things that the Bible says, the front and center, not searching for rabbit trails, getting off course, but going about walking with God. And so now how would Cain respond? God has just, I, I, like, I don't know how, if they were like side by side, were they in their own locations? But in my mind, I always have these two brothers at the same spot. They both make two offerings and they're sitting there and they're kind of like waiting and then something that God does lets them see that God like the one, but not the other. And we're just told in this moment that Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. This, this uh, became very angry is a Hebrew uh, idiom that literally means he burned with anger. This is that... Uh, if you've seen it on somebody else where the, the face turns bright red, the veins start bulging, there's just this visceral anger in their response. And his countenance fell. It's another Hebrew idiom that means his, his inner anger is reflected in his face. And so in the Hebrew, this is to the, to the Hebrew who would be reading this, this is very colorful language that as you read it, you can then like see, like you can imagine it in your brain. I, I told you, I've, all, like, I've been like studying Spanish. I'm getting a lot better now. I'm like, my big goal this year is to read Charlotte's Web in Spanish, not in English. So I'm going like a paragraph at a time. And then I like take the paragraph and I go to the teacher. I'm like, I see something that this makes like no sense to me. And so I'm like, on, like, I'm still on page one or one, maybe two at this point. And there was a picture, so I'm on page two, so I've got to move along. And, uh, you know, it's the opening scene. You know, Fern is like really distraught. Her dad is out there with the, the hatchet. And, and, and I'm like reading this, and it makes no sense because it's like there's tears, and they're running, and then the four, her cheeks. And as I'm like the teacher, I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, what? Her cheeks are, are, like, there's tears, and they're running for her, for her cheeks? And she's like, no, 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 no. She's like, first off, you'll never speak like this. This is literature. And so literature has to paint this picture. And so, like, there's something about literature when you can see, she's like, a cheek is a thing, and it's going through there, and it's this beautiful expression kind of so that you, while you can't see her face, it will put the picture into your mind. And I'm like, I get that. That's actually really beautiful. And this is what's happening. Like the writer here says, Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. But, but, but then it's like in their language, he was burning. He was furious. You could see in his face that it was red and the veins were bulging. And all of the anger that was fuming within him, it was showing on his face. This is super anger. This is, this is where there's like an explosion and you can't control what you're about to do. Like, I, I, I don't, like, I haven't been to prison, like, for, like to spend enough time. In, I've been there to visit. Um, 
But like how many people are in prison because they couldn't get a hold of the anger and it like exploded in this way? Like how many murderers are behind bars because they had the same reaction? And so all of a sudden, in verse 6, it's this beautiful picture of, like, intervention of the Lord. Like, the Lord kind of stops. He sees Cain, and he says, hey, then the Lord came to Cain. Why are you, why, why are you angry? This is so reminiscent of, like, uh, when, when Adam and Eve are hiding. Hey, where are you guys? Like, trying to intervene, trying to, like, draw them out, allow them to do the right thing. He kind of comes up on them. He says, hey, why, why are you angry? Why are you so upset? Like what, is, like, what does your offering have to do with your brother? Like, your brother, this is between me and you. This isn't about you and your brother. He says, if you do well, like, or, and why is your countenance fallen, fallen? If you do well, will your, not, will your countenance not be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. And it's this beautiful picture of God sort of intervening and saying, hey, hey, t- time out, time out. Don't, don't go down this road. It's bad for you. It, it reminds me of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where Paul writes, no temptation has overtaken you except for that which is common to man. And, and it, like, this is where my Bible memory runs out, but it's like, and God won't do something. Like, God will always provide a way out, and you can run. And I get the picture of Joseph with Potiphar's wife, like, hey, the temptation comes. Whatever you got to do, just get out of there. Like so often that verse is used or, or mis, misapplied that God won't give you more than you can handle. The Bible doesn't say that God won't give you more than you can handle. The, the Bible says that God, like in this life there will be more than you can handle. And what we're to do is to fall on our knees and seek God and ask him for help. And that he'll help us through these things that we cannot handle on our own. And so God in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you, but that which is common for man. And there's a lesson for us that as we are tempted to go down the path of sin that we could stop and that we can go another direction, even if it means that we have to run. And I love Swindoll's quote. I say that, like, it's never too late to do the right thing. You start, you, temptation starts to get, you start to take a step. It's never too late to say, no, 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 no. I'm going to back away. I'm not going to say what I'm about to say. I'm not going to do what I'm about to do. I'm going to take a different course of action. And I love that God is saying, get your eyes on the right thing. If you do well, your countenance will change. If you focus on the right thing, things will change within you. But if you don't, sin is right there, ready to come after you. Sin is crouching at the door. And this reminds me of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 16, which are some of my favorite verses in the Bible that talks about that we need to make the most of our time because the days are evil. We need to be very careful about how we live our lives because sin is crouching at the door. And so in verse 8, Cain told his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Now in this, we're dealing with ancient uh, literature, and there's some variants. So you you might have a translation that said, Cain told his brother, let's go out to the field. We, we don't really know about that phrase. So I think a lot of translations just oftentimes will use less to make sure they're not adding. Um, but there's some manuscripts that have that and some that don't. But so Cain told his brother. So some suggest that the author, when they were writing, they were trying to build sense. Like, what did he tell his brother? What did he say? That he's like, what, what's he talking about? And then others would include the manuscripts that say, let's go out into the field. That there's this sort of this 
premeditation that Cain is going to do something really bad. One of the things is like through the Bible reading, like Gideon's working on like going through a little kid's version of the, of the Bible in a year. And he told us the other day, he came up with like just really distraught. And he said, I'm, I'm on track, but I had to skip a story. We're like, what story did you skip? He's like, Cain and Abel, I just couldn't read it. It's just too devastating. And, and really, if you think about it, like a, this, the, the, like a brother killing his brother is it's heartbreaking. And so he lures his brother out in the field, and we're told that he kills him. In the next few verses, like as we go into next week, this, this, the word brother, if you read through it and you count him up, it's used six times. And it's suggested that brother is used this many times to sort of uh, to highlight the heinous and shocking nature of, of this sin, that, that, that the one brother would kill the other brother. And it's out of his heart. You know, we sang a lot of songs today that dealt with the heart. Like I just noticed, Melody, like Melody Dawn, whoever, like however they, I'm not really in the pro, but it was like so much about the heart, like cleanse me, God, give me a new heart, clean my heart. Jesus in Matthew 15, verse 19 says, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, false witnesses. So from the heart, evil comes. James tells us, but each... But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And so there's this battle raging within our hearts. In that rage, in that anger, in that temptation, sin is telling us, if you just do this, it's going to feel good. You're going to feel good. You're going to feel better for doing this. And then you go down that path, and you might have a little bit of instant gratification, but ultimately it, it's, it doesn't lead to ultimate goodness. And the reality is, as we deal with our anger, as we deal with the things that, that, that Cain is dealing with, what we need is a total heart transplant, and Christ offers us that in him. That we're told that as we go to him, it's not just this transaction, but it's this transformation. And God does heart surgery on us, and he begins to change us. And it's beautiful when we allow God to do that. And so Cain has killed his brother, and it's like, I, I thought I'd do Genesis in big chunks, and I think eventually we'll get to big chunks. But this, this week, as I'm looking at the story, just seeing this buildup, this brother, this surge, the, this violence that all stem from anger, that I just felt compelled that I need to stop to kind of the focus on anger, I, like, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but it seems like our world is filled with angry people all over the place. Like, I was looking at some studies, I'm like, this is like, like, this is pointless. And even looking at these stories, it's just kind of depressing. Like the one from like 1990, the FAA has studies on like how many different like violent crimes are done on aircraft as you're flying. And in like 1990, there was like 150 or something whatever category, assaults on an airline. So today, do you know what I mean? We, we were already, it, like, the date of the FAA thing was like, as of January 18th, we've already exceeded what was on the airlines 20 years ago. Like, everywhere you turn, people are angry. I'm like, driving my daughter, trying to teach her how to drive. We're going through all the motions. Things are going really well. And I'm like, hey, Grace, we got to slap the magnet, student driver. She's like, why do we have to do that? I'm like, 
because people are jerks out there. And hopefully with the little magnets, the jerks will like calm down a little bit and say, it's okay, like this is a student driver. You don't take those on there, you're going to like see like all kinds of stuff that you don't want to see. And the people are just angry. Like I, like I think about my own anger. Like the, the man you all know today is not the gunner of like 30 years ago. I, I, I was super angry as a young man. I um, Today, I get like, you know, I watch a commercial, I start crying, I'll sing songs at church, I start like getting choked up where I can't even get the words out because I'm like, like, because I'm just like get emotional. Like, and I think back to the gunner, the 18-year-old gunner when I went to the Navy and I was like, I wanted, like my motivation for the SEAL teams is that I really wanted to ruin somebody's life. Like, I wanted to be in the place where I could let my anger out and utterly destroy somebody's life. Like, this is, real, this is, this is who I was then. And then you fast forward in time, and a couple years ago, like 10 years ago or so, I was in Mongolia with the missionaries sitting around the table, and they were kind of doing this, like, you know, time of singing, of worship. And they said, hey, Gunnar, what song do you want to sing? And I said, I'd love to sing Jesus Paid It All. And then I'm at the table trying to sing, Jesus paid it all to him, you know, that one. And I couldn't even sing. I'm sitting there crying, and I'm putting my head down so they can't see me crying. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world is happening to me? Like, why am I so emotional? Why am I crying? And I don't know that I audibly heard God's voice, but I felt God say to me, I've exchanged your anger for tears. And there's been so much of that in my life because God has taken away that angry heart and he's placed this new heart in there. God doesn't want us to be filled with anger and rage. He wants something better for us and he has something better for us. In Proverbs 29, 11, David writes, a fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. God doesn't want us to let loose with our anger. He wants us to crucify it, not coddle it. In Colossians chapter 1, the first three verses are beautiful, and we're really going to verse 8. He says, therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So now that we've received Christ, we keep our, th- our eyes on the things above. We focus there. In Christ, we've been crucified. We have new life in Christ. If you follow the flow of thought forward five verses, you come to verse 8. And in Colossians 3, verse 8, we read, But now you also put them aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. God says if you're in Christ, these things, your flesh that's raging at war within yourself. As Christians, we have the old nature in us and we have the new nature, these two roommates that hate each other. And we're told, crucify your flesh, crucify your flesh, keep your eyes on Christ. You have anger, put it aside. Don't coddle it, don't dwell on it. Turn your eyes to Jesus. And so the prayer that we have is, Lord, like help us to follow the path of Abel, not Cain. 
Lord, help me to embrace this new heart that you've given me. As we follow this story out through the New Testament, there's a little book right before Revelation called Jude. There's only one chapter, so, so it's Jude 11. It's just the 11th verse of Jude. And there Jude writes, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. In 1 John 3, verses 11 through 12, the apostle John, at the end of his life, he writes this, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay them? Slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. And so John's been saying, oh, yeah, like Genesis is super easy. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm all, yeah, it's easy. We're kind of going, there's some stories. We're doing the Bible reading plan in a year, and like I'm going through Genesis, and you might be reading the stories, but I'm like, I got to preach that. Like, how do, I te- how do I tell that story? Like, I, like I, like, you know, Grace keeps going, are you doing, are you doing, th- like, are you doing that story? I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, we're going to do something. Like, we're, but John's like, it's super easy once you see the two lines. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then, well, I saw it this week. I text him, like, I see the two lines. There's, the, there's this line of Abel and there's this line of Cain. When you get all the way to Jude and First John, and what they're telling the church then is, don't go the way of Cain, go the way of Abel. One is of faith and righteousness. The other is of flesh and, and carnality and seeking the self. And so my prayer for us is we look at the story that we would learn from Cain and that we would bow before our Lord and we would say, Lord, I need your help. Lord, I need this heart transformation. I need my new nature to be in control. And with that, let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the story of Cain and Abel. It is, it is a painful story to observe, to think that these two brothers that their parents loved so much would, th- through an act of worship, would ultimately lead to a murder of one brother. And this story isn't here accidentally. It's a story of of anger and rage that so fills the human race. And so, Father, we turn to you, and we thank you for Christ. We thank you for this new nature that is available to us in him. Father, I pray for those that maybe haven't received Christ or unsure that they would turn their eyes upon Christ, that they would believe upon him and receive him as Savior. For those of us who have trusted in Christ, that doesn't mean our old nature vanishes. It almost seems like the old nature is highlighted within us as we seek to walk with you. We see the temptation that's so strong. We see within us um, that which your Spirit highlights and shows us that we need to deal with. Father, we long for your righteousness We long to have lives that are yielded to your spirit. And so, Father, I pray that this day, this week, you would help us just to lean into you and to allow your spirit to work within our hearts, within our minds, that we would crucify our flesh, that we would, if we find ourselves getting angry, that we wouldn't sin, that we would quench it and we would turn to you. The people who have legitimately wronged us, Lord, your word tells us uh, to be at peace with all men and to leave room for the wrath of God. And so we pray, Father, that you would help us 
to trust you um, to, to, to right what is wrong. We thank you, Lord, for the, your grace which abounds to our lives. We thank you that you have had mercy on us. We pray that you would help us to truly be a people that walk with you, love you, and that your grace would abound in our lives and our interactions with the world around us. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen.